Hello and welcome to episode 956 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, July 19th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and I have another solo episode for you. Uh, this is one I talked about maybe doing over the weekend, and I just didn't quite have enough time, so I apologize if you were looking for it on uh, on the weekend while you were commuting or doing yard work or whatever. <clears throat> I apologize for not coming through, but I've got it here now. And I mentioned it on the heels of my five fade pitchers for the second half that I would come up with something that highlights some pitchers I do like. You know, it's easy to talk about the guys that we're moving away from. But what about some folks that we want to get, especially because this is going to be one of the craziest second halves that I think we'll ever have seen in, in the fantasy land on the fantasy landscape in the fantasy. land. No, no. On the fantasy landscape. And I think that's because of uh, the residual effect from last year. And the fact that dealing with the COVID year, you know, we got through it, but it's obviously going to have more impact beyond just last year. And that is going to come in the form of innings limits for guys. And there's so much uncertainty surrounding that, that I just, I just think it's going to wreak havoc on the second half as a whole. And maybe it's going to create a lot of, um, you know, volatility in the standings where, if you're looking at a club right now that you have and thinking that you're out of it, maybe you're not. And maybe I didn't turn off my Slack sounds uh, to prepare for the podcast and I failed on that. That is now remedied. I apologize. Uh, but seriously, you know, we, we talk about it a lot about how people probably over overstate how much they're out of it in general, like in, in a standard season. But I think this year has the, the potential to be much worse in terms of people overstating the fact that they're out of it and, and wanting to give up on a club um, to where you should you should stay in longer. Now, obviously, every scenario is, uh, is, is kind of its own situation and you have to figure out where you're at, what you can do. But a lot of times people don't give a deep enough look at the standings and, and determine what, what their actual chances are. So... Maybe with a few of these guys on your team, you can make a bigger move than you might have originally thought. And of course, players are going to be, you know, going down to injury, as is always the case. But then there's going to be others who are getting skipped starts. We've already seen Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns pushed back. Um, guys are going to be shut down down the stretch. And so there's going to be some probably some high profile names you know, just not pitching for half or most of September. So it's going to be wild. Let's get into the names. I got six pitchers for you with a couple add-ons, uh, technically eight players in all, but two of them I've already mentioned in different episodes that, uh, so that I didn't want to have them use a spot. So yes, Christian Javier is included in that, but let's start with my number one guy here. I think Tony Gonsolin is somebody that you definitely want to have for the second half and I think there's so much to like with what he's doing that uh, he could be a key piece for folks. You know, he had a lot of sleeper upside this year. You know, he and Dustin May, there was there was kind of a two camps scenario where people would kind of choose who they liked best. There were others that that liked both, but for the most part, it was you know choose your fighter there. And I was on the Gonsolin train for sure. I was still very worried about Dustin May's ability to generate swings and misses. He didn't really have a miss pitch. Well. He found one, and obviously 
you know, he's been felled by injury, but I still, I still count that as a loss for myself. I, I was, I was wrong on Dustin May. Um, I wasn't predicting injury and you never, you're never really predicting TJ for somebody anyway. So I look back at that and I'm like, you know what? He developed quicker than I thought and, and kudos to him. Meanwhile, Gonsolin's been a little bit of a slow start here. Uh, well, he got hurt and, and obviously that held him back. And then when he first came back, he had the softest landing spot you could have getting an outing against the Pirates. And so what does he do? He goes out and dominates them? No, no. He goes out and walks 500 batters. <laughs> he walked five in an inning and two thirds and he was out of there quickly because they ran up his pitch count so easily. Um, and that was, you know, a bit nerve wracking there because like I said, you can't get a better landing spot usually. And he did not take full advantage of it. Then he walked three and three and two thirds his next time out. And you're looking at it like, well, dang, what's what's going on with, with Gonzo here? But he has really stabilized since. So you look at his, his walk rate for the year. And uh, let me see what it is at 14%. And you're probably bugging out like, well, that's way too high. I can't. I can't trust somebody with that kind of walk rate, but it's really inflated by those eight walks in the first two starts. So I would certainly encourage you to not judge him fully off of that because it's not even it's not even his full 25 inning sample to 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 date. It's really just the two starts there. And since then, he's down to a nine percent mark, which is a lot more palatable in the 20 innings uh, that he's had since those first two starts. Plus, it comes with a 28% strikeout rate, a 180 ERA, and a .95 whip uh, in those outings since the first two. If you add it all up, it's a 213 ERA and a 130 whip. And normally, when you have an ERA and whip combo like that, you know you're going to look at that ERA and say, "Well, there's no way you're going to be able to maintain that with that kind of whip." Again, I think he has the opportunity to maintain a very strong ERA because that whip is a bit inflated by two bad outings coming off of the IL. Then you add in the fact that the Dodgers desperately need him. Obviously, they're going to make some moves here at the deadline. You know, there's no chance that they don't go out and get some starting pitchers. And and I do put an S on there on purpose because I think they will get multiples. But the fact of the matter is, is that even adding, say, two guys, Gonsolin's still going to be a big part of their second half. Uh, when you look at the way things are shaping up, I know that uh, Kershaw's on the IL right now, but then you got Bueller, Urias, and Kershaw. Let's say Kershaw's not out too, too long. In fact, what is the timetable on that? I don't believe he's expected to be out for an extended period of time. Um, it's not a massive injury here. Let me see. Pulling it up real quick. Uh, yeah, so you look at his uh, forearm inflammation, a little bit nerve wracking, but. Um, I don't think he's going to be somebody that's out for a month plus. It looks like a couple weeks, and then we'll kind of figure out what's going on. But even you know, if it is, that obviously only speaks better for Gonsolin's chances to stay in the rotation and, and be kind of unchained. Um, I know they're working David Price back as well. So you know, if Kershaw comes back, well, then there's your five Bueller, Urias, Price, Gonsolin, uh, and, and Kershaw. But again, they're going to go out and get some guys for sure because they like to be running, you know, seven, eight guys at, at any moment so that they have depth. But even if they go out and get that depth, I don't think that Gonsolin is the loser there. I, I think David Price would go back into like the hybrid role. Um, and then if they went and got like two guys, well, it would depend how I how how high impact they are as well. I think with um, 
uh, if they go out and get somebody like a Max Scherzer, obviously that's massive. If they get guys who are more in the fourth, fifth, sixth starter range, then of course that doesn't necessarily impact any of their guys that they currently have. So I look at Gonsolin, I see somebody who with just so few innings right now, he has 37 combined on the year. If you add in his minor league, there's plenty of gas in the tank. They're not going to be capping him, or they shouldn't have to. And as long as he's pitching well, which he has been since those first two starts, the reins are going to be off, and he's going to be a key part for rotations down the stretch. I love Tony Gonsolin. Definitely go out and see what his availability is on your trade market, maybe even in, in, in waivers as well. I, I doubt that he's super available in leagues that are paying attention, even in like a 10-teamer, but you never know. We always say, Go check. If you assume you have a chance to make a big mistake and then you see somebody else pick him up and you go, oh, if I just taken nine seconds to look, you know, he's 53% or excuse me, 56% at ESPN. That means there's some availability. And I think Gonsolin is an all formats must start guy right now. All right. Next up is a star level guy, uh, somebody you would definitely have to trade for. But I really like Jose Barrios and what he's doing. And I think there's an opportunity uh, for him to kind of be a, be a major factor down the stretch. Obviously, again, he's good. He's established. We know this. I'm not suggesting that, uh, that he's like some hidden gem. But what I do believe is that he's having his best season yet, quietly, and that I don't know that they're really going to they're going to rein him in even as part of a bad team uh, with the twins. I don't know that Barrios is necessarily going to be held back. Uh, like I said, quietly having his best season yet, 348 ERA, 110 whip with a career best 378 Sierra. So the underlying skills are backing it. You know, he's had ERAs like this before or, or around it, but there always is like a bit higher Sierra where, uh, where you're kind of not trusting everything fully. And it's usually due to the fact that Barrios has these ebbs and flows uh, over the course of his season. We've seen it throughout his career. He'll be lights out best pitcher in the league type of look for five six starts in a row and then like a three start run where the the opponent doesn't matter he just gets absolutely pummeled and it, it's it's maddening um particularly maybe if you're in a head-to-head -head situation if you're in roto he's a set it and forget it kind of guy anyway so you don't worry about the ups and downs with barrios but those of you in head-to-head -head situations you're like well one week he's winning me my league or my my, my week and then the next week uh i'm wondering if I should have even started him against the Pirates AAA team. You know, it, it, it's unbelievable. But we have not seen that this year. He does have a few clunker starts, as anybody would, but his worst outings are four earned runs. He's done that five times, but in four of those, he's gone at least six innings. So his worst start of the year is four and a third, four earned against Boston. Now, of course, you, you still start him for that. I, I don't manage, I don't micromanage Barrios to the point where I would ever sit him against a high quality opponent. He just, again, he's a set it and forget it guy for me. I, I, I don't really know uh, how blessed you'd have to be with pitching to be able to do that. Plus, on April 14th, you wouldn't have been in a situation where you felt like, oh, I have enough pitching. I can do that. So you took that one, but big deal. Um, and the other four, like I said, he's gone at least six innings. He has nine, six, four, and eight strikeouts in those. So three of those strikeout outings are pretty good, too. So he just hasn't had the negatives this year. He's really kind of figured out a way to curb some of the volatility that has plagued Barrios throughout his career thus far. Now, again, I went, I, I said they might not peel back with him. 
because I think, you know, he's past the injury nexus as somebody who's in his age 27 season. He has 200 innings. A 200 inning season under his belt, but two 32 start seasons. I know he only threw 63 innings last year, but I, I don't know. I think even as a struggling team, they might still just let it ride with him. And there's also the fact that they could maybe trade him. And I think they should very much consider it right now. This has been a rough season for the Twins. There's no, there's no way to uh, sugarcoat it. You know, they're second to last in the division only because the Royals have completely fallen apart. By the way, remember when the Royals were like playing pretty well in April? And um, I know I, I kind of saw them as like a dark horse team. If, 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 you know, there was a lot of ifs that had to come together, but you could have... You, you could make the case for how things could have come together with them, with some of their young players, and then they get to get off to a 15-9 and nine start. Of course, it was with a minus two run differential. But, I mean, they've been unbelievably dreadful since then. It, it, it's been wild. Anyway, um, the Twins have had a rough year. It's all over but the shouting as far as their playoff chances go at 39-52 and 52 because... I mean, yes, they're not, while they aren't mathematically eliminated, they just don't have the horses. But I wonder if in this seller's market right now, with all the teams that are contending kind of looking for the same stuff, that you know everyone needs relievers and starters, if they dangle out somebody who is this great and think like, you know, we could cash in massively here. Because another situation is the fact that... Um, he has a year of control beyond this. So there's just so much upside here for them. They could actually trade and, and really fetch a mint to set them up beyond just this year. Um, because obviously this year doesn't matter. So I don't know. We'll see if Barrios gets involved in trade talks. And then if that were the case, I really don't think he'd be held back because he'd be on a contending team that needs him, that just paid a mint for him. So I think Barrios would then really have the reins taken off. But even if he stays with the Twins, I could see maybe a, a start pushback here and there. So where he has like seven, eight days of rest in between instead of the standard four or five. But I don't think that it's going to be a shutdown situation with him. I think he's going to get to the finish line for you. He's having a great season. Uh, he's really started to curb that volatility that has plagued him in previous years. And if you are in the trade market of your fantasy league, Barrios is somebody I would take a look at. Next up is Ross Stripling, who I really love. Um, if you've listened to the pod for any amount of time, you know I've been a fan of his for years dating back to his days with the Dodgers. I mean, I say dating back to as if he wasn't with them last year. But, you know, o over the years, I've, I've really liked Ross Stripling and I've wanted him to kind of get that full-time role so that he could truly break out as a starter. He gets moved last year uh, and it was coming off of a rough start with the Dodgers and he didn't get any better with Toronto. It was just, it was just a bad season all around. Uh, but then this year, still with Toronto, gets an opportunity to kind of have that full season. So I had a lot of excitement for him again. Well, then he got off to a really ugly start. Um, through six starts, he had a 7.20 ERA, and nothing was going well. There was like one gem against Atlanta, uh, but that was it. And it was just really rough for Stripling. So he made some mechanical changes and, and realized, hey, I, I got to do something here because status quo 
is not working. And I think it was both bullpen coach Matt Bushman and a pitching coach Pete Walker noticed the same thing with him. And they both saw some things that uh, where they were like, oh, you, you need to, you need to uh, change your glove movement, I believe it was. And I included this in uh, Jeff Zimmerman's piece that he put up recently where we were analyzing a bunch of different pitchers and uh, evaluating them pre and post sticky ban and kind of taking y'all's suggestions. So I, I did the stripling piece. Let me pull that up real quick. Um, yeah, so they, they saw something about it stabilizing his glove during windup. And since then, he's been a stud. Stripling has really popped off since the changes. And if you look at it, he has just one bad start since then. It was actually his most recent start. And even including that start, 290 ERA, 0.97 whip in 49 and two thirds for Stripling. He's been awesome. He has a 25% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate in that same period of time. And the simple fact is, y'all, while he only has a max of 122 uh, innings back in 2018 for his career uh, as a pro, I don't think the, the Jays have the ability to really p pull him back. Like, they're fully in the thick of things here. Pitching is kind of their weakness, uh, although they are starting to, you know, have the makings of a pretty strong rotation with Hunjin Ryu getting back on track. Ross Stripling, uh, Robbie Ray, and Alec Manoa. Those four have been really good. If they trade for somebody or if Steven Matz maybe finds some of his early season magic, then they've got something. They should get they should get some reinforcements just so they can give guys a break here and there to get to the finish line. But I really think that there's a chance for Stripling to be a go-to guy the rest of the way. Again, I think it's similar to Barrios where we might see a little pushback here and there, but I don't think we're going to see full-on skips or a move back to the bullpen or major peelback of his workload. I, I just don't think that they have that luxury. He's 31 years old. Um, I, I think it's kind of go time with him. And, you know, they don't they don't want to run him into the ground, but I think he could get upwards of another 100 innings um, and that would give him 175 on the year. And that would be fantastic. Now, like Gonsolin, he should be rostered in virtually all formats at this point, but go check. I bet he has a lower roster rate uh, on ESPN than Gonsolin does. And I'm looking it up right now, 27%. So ESPN and Yahoo leagues, they generally cater toward 10 teamers. Um, so you're going to find more availability. But I think that that's way too low of a roster rate for Stripling at 27%, even accounting for the fact that it's mostly 10-team leagues. I, I, just, I just don't get that. He's been so strong now for going on two months since there's an actual change to look at, too. You're not just using arbitrary samples. There is something to go off of, and I think Stripling could be a stud down the stretch. Staying in the same division, but running to the other side there as far as uh, age goes, we look at Tanner Houck. And, uh, you know, he's a young arm that we saw debut last year and looked pretty good in his 17 innings of work. And then I believe he broke camp with the team. Let me see here. Yeah, uh, he, he, he was starting in their very first rotation there, April 30. He got his first start. And then they were kind of done with it because then he only got a relief appearance on April 6th. And then he was, I believe, sent out brought back on April 18th, and then sent out again. And actually, I'm wondering, was there injury mixed in here? I, I might not have my full history with Hauk uh, properly chronicled here. But the bottom line is, 
is that you know he spent most of his season in the minors. He just came back this past week right after the break, and he got a big uh, multi-inning save. Uh, now that was only because that was only because of the fact that they knew he wasn't going to start this week, and they wanted to get him an extended outing. So it, it was a three-inning save. He went three innings, one hit. One walk, three strikeouts against the Yankees, and cop that save in a 4-0 win. Obviously, he's going to be in the rotation, and I think he could be a gem for them. He did have an injury, by the way. It was a forearm, uh, forearm tightness, I believe that he was, he was uh, nursing. So yeah, that's part of why he was not in the majors for such a long period of time earlier, and he accumulated 21 innings in the minors. And don't get too hung up on the 514 ERA in the minors because if you look, uh, it, it comes with a 293 FIP, 29% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. Even the 124 whip is much better than you would think a 514 ERA would generate. So I think there was a little bit of bad luck there with the runs allowed. Um, I, I, I definitely think he was pitching better than that in AAA. And now he comes up to the majors, and he has an opportunity to be a big part of their rotation. This is another team that I just don't think will have the luxury to really hold him back as long as he's healthy. You know, we've seen since kind of the uh, the crackdown, Garrett Richards has really fallen apart. Uh, I think there's some rightful concern about guys like Nick Pavetta, Martin Perez, and even Eduardo Rodriguez. Now, that isn't necessarily widespread concern. I, I feel like I'm not on an island with that, but I'm I'm in a little bit of a minority. I think some some are kind of putting Eduardo Rodriguez as a buy candidate, and I I, I get it to a degree because you look, you know, just simply you're looking at. Uh, things that we're looking at here with some of these guys like ERA versus Sierra or versus FIP. And we're looking at the underlying skills. And I get it. He has a 346 Sierra. This is Eduardo Rodriguez I'm talking about uh, versus his 519 ERA. Strikeouts and walks are solid, but he still has a major home run issue. He still allows too many hits. I think he'll be a whip problem even if he gets the ERA down. So that's why I don't love Eduardo. But he's not going anywhere in the rotation. So I shouldn't have even brought him up and derailed myself. Um, Ivaldi, Rodriguez, they're not going anywhere. But how could absolutely push Garrett Richards out or Martin Perez or even Nick Pavetta, who had some early season magic, but he's really come back to the pack too. I think there is a full-scale opportunity here for Hauk to be in the five-man rotation for the rest of the year as long as he's performing. And we've seen some great swing and miss from him so far as a big leaguer with a 30% strikeout rate uh, in his 30 innings of work. And like I said, only 44 innings used so far this year. So if he's healthy... He's going to go every fifth day, and he could be a gem. So Tanner Houck is somebody I definitely like. Next up is Eric Lauer of Milwaukee. Now, as you can see, we're, we're kind of ranging uh, uh, on different levels here, whether it's you know somebody who's a bona fide stud like, uh, like Jose Barrios, excuse me, versus somebody like Eric Lauer, who's widely available on a lot of waiver wires that you could go pick up. And that's done purposefully to help you guys in a lot of different situations. Not everyone can go out and make trades. Not everyone likes to do trades. So I wanted to have some guys that could be available in a waiver wire situation like Hauk, Lauer, Stripling, and like I said, even in some leagues, Gonsolin. But um, Eric Lauer made some changes in late May himself, like Stripling did, uh, that have also paid dividends. Now, they have not paid dividends to the degree of what Stripling has seen, but he's definitely been better since then. And honestly, 
there is a bad start against Detroit that is selling his numbers since then. And that start counts, right? I'm not, I'm not bringing it up to, to lift it and say, ignore that. He got roughed up uh, by a Tigers team that has been playing much better since uh, mid-May, basically. And really since May 1st, if you, if you look at it. They had a disastrous April, and then they've been, I think, about a 500 club since then. So they're, they're not a complete walkover. And they roughed Lauer up. Seven earned in two innings with three homers doing a lot of that damage. Uh, but if you, even if you include that and, and you go since like since his late May start on May 26th, he has a 4.24 ERA in that period, uh, which is pretty usable. Now the 139 WHIP is high. I, I will freely admit that because walks are a bit of an issue for him with a 13% rate. Does have a 22% K rate. If you take out the Detroit start, it's a 282 ERA and a 123 WHIP. Or if you just go since the Detroit start, it's 306 127. So the bottom line is, is that even if you include all of it, right, the 424 ERA 139 whip, that's still a, a streamer type, a team streamer type in deeper mixed formats. And that's kind of where I'm looking at him. I think he's a 15 team mixed uh, NL only type guy for sure. Maybe could have some playability as a true streamer in 12 teamers. Uh, or maybe even a team streamer. A lot of people's 12-team rotations are really jacked up, so they, they can use a guy like Lauer that after they use, for those that don't know, a team streamer, after you use him, you don't cut him, you just put him on your reserve instead of the traditional stream, which is use somebody, cut them back. You don't necessarily want to give people an opportunity to pick Lauer up. Although I will say, I doubt people are dying to go get him in the market if you did make him available. So if you had to use him as a true streamer and 12-teamers, I totally get it. So I mentioned that the walks are high. Uh, and that's been regardless of the sample. Whether you include all of it since late May, you take out the Detroit start, or you go just since the Detroit start, walks are his issue. But... He's been very difficult to hit since these changes with a 7.6 hit nine. And then since the Detroit start, it's been at 6.4. And the, another reason I like him, and obviously I've been putting a lot of focus on different uh, um, uh, innings situations here, and we're trying to find guys that we think can get us to the finish line. I think Lauer has a great opportunity to do that because they're going to have to bench so many guys for periods of time here. We've already seen it with Peralta and Burns getting pushed back. I do think Brandon Woodruff's more or less going to you know, be their workhorse and, and push 200 innings, but he could also have a, a start skip uh, here and there. And Lauer's going to be a guy that they're going to need to fill in these gaps. He's at 56 innings right now, so I think he probably has... Uh, actually, it's really hard to say because they suggested that they're doing plus 100 for guys. Now, I don't know if that's for guys that were injured as well, like Lauer, who only threw 11 innings last year, or if they would push him maybe a little bit more and, uh, and maybe let him get closer to the... I don't know, 140 range, 150 maybe, which would leave him just under 100 innings left in the tank. So I think there's a, a, a lot of room here for Lauer to pitch consistently down the stretch. And the way he's been pitching, he can be useful for you. And if he somehow figures out a way to rein in the walks, then he jumps even another level to where I think he's like a 12-team a you know, must roster and then maybe a 10-team streamer. So keep an eye on Lauer. He's made some changes with his arsenal, tightened up his mechanics, and we've seen some dividends there. I think the 26-year-old lefty from Milwaukee could be kind of decent down the stretch for you as well. Now, this guy is an injured arm right now who's not back and we don't actually have a firm timetable but I wanted to highlight Aaron Savali because we're coming up on the 
the uh, original timetable for his sprained middle finger, which was four to five weeks, which would put him back right around the, the trade deadline, which for those that don't know is on the 30th this year. The 31st is a Saturday, and they don't like to do... Uh, they don't like to have the deadline on on a day that would have a bunch of day games where guys you know are in and out of their you have to decide whether or not you want to start them or they're getting pulled off in the middle of the game obviously there can still be day games where that situation happens if somebody gets traded you know before the deadline or whatever but you don't want to set up a day that is loaded with day games where guys might have to be pulled out like that so that's why it's on the 30th this year instead of the 31st if you were wondering that I actually learned that just yesterday myself so uh, I'm passing on my newfound info. But anyway, you look at Savali, and he has a 333 ERA and 106 whip in 97 and two-thirds before the injury. He'd been great. And the time off is basically going to serve as his, his built-in rest so that Cleveland can kind of take the reins off down the stretch when he comes back, assuming he's healthy and everything. Uh, now, he still hasn't found that swing and miss offering to really drive his strikeout rates because even if you go look during his big strikeout games, the 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 pitch that got the strikeouts varies and, and it kind of bounces uh, around his arsenal. I still think there's overall strikeout upside, though, because he has a deep arsenal. He's not very fastball heavy. He has a lot of secondaries. So I don't know. I just... I, I still feel like there's an opportunity for him to spike some strikeouts. Maybe not this year, though. But even if not, give me the volume that somebody like Aaron Savali delivers, and he can kind of make up for the strikeout deficiency there just by sheer volume. Think of like uh, peak Adam Wainwright and guys like that, uh, Jordan Zimmerman at his peak. They didn't have great K rates either, but their volume of innings allowed them to kind of push their, their strikeout total higher. So maybe that volume can bridge the gap for him. He's uh, First of all, he's thrown six-plus innings in 11 of his 15 starts, and he's gone seven-plus in seven of those starts. And then finally, so those are the main six guys. And then finally, I just wanted to reiterate my love for Michael Kopech and Christian Javier. Uh, I, obviously, I don't think the White Sox are going to hold back Lynn, Giolito, or Rodon, but Dylan Cease absolutely could be, and he could flip-flop with Kopech. Cease goes to the rotation, or excuse me, Cease goes to the bullpen, Kopech goes to the rotation. He only has 36 innings on his ledger this year. He's been excellent in his three starts uh, with a 225 ERA, .83 whip, 42% strikeouts, 7% walk. He's an absolute monster. Uh, so I definitely think Kopech should be rostered even for his relief work right now because if he gets put in the rotation, he would be like a triple digit bid guy uh, if you, you know for leagues that he was available. And then I've discussed the Garcia-Javier flip ad nauseum. I do believe Christian Javier will be flipped in the rotation with Luis Garcia, and he was he was really good in his nine starts with a 314 ERA, 103 whip, 30% strikeout, 11% walk. He was great last year, too, 348.99. Uh, he does have a little bit of a home run issue at 1.5, but he's very difficult to hit. So those aren't usually multi-run homers, and I, I think he'll be a gem when he goes back in the rotation. So Kopech and Garcia, don't forget about them. But the main six, Tony Gonsolin, Jose Barrios, Ross Stripling, Tanner Houck, Eric Lauer, and Aaron Savali. I believe Justin should be back and ready to go for tomorrow's Tuesday episode. Um, but if not, I'll have another solo out. And thank you all so much for listening. Take care.